podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So it was meant to be only myself and Stag this week. However, it's air control to Major Tom as he's fortuitously managed to join us for the record from Brisbane Airport. It was, a, it was another eventful FPL game week where Anthony's wildcard and Kun Captain Pub delivered in a huge way. So we've got plenty to talk about this week. But Tom, yeah, great to have you join us both. How are your travels going? Oh, good, good, Nick. Thanks. So I'm, I'm very tired, though. I think we, we did an overnight flight from Hong Kong just now. And it's, it's as you mentioned, a, uh, a really nice sort of uh, uh, parallel that I managed to kind of land just at the time you guys were saying, oh, we're going to record in a bit. I've got eight hours to wait in Brisbane Airport. I've got nothing better to do. So I thought, why not record a podcast? Uh, I think I'm one of the only people in the world who can say that. Uh, but yeah, all good. All enjoying, uh, enjoying the travel so far. And uh, very nice to be down under, uh, directly underneath you, I think, right now. I can probably see the top of your beard. Very nice. And so we're the most international we've ever been this week because I'm now recording from Belgium as well, where I'm living at the moment. I've been in Ireland for the last two podcasts. So we've three different land masses represented on the podcast this week. So it's great to be back and with you all. And I'm definitely feeling a lot better about FPL than I have done in quite some time. But we'll get to those game week reviews in a second. Uh, for now, just to say we are, of course, who got the assist. Our Twitter is WGTA underscore FPL. Uh, or you can find Nick at WGTA underscore Nick. Or you can find me at FPL Stag. You can find the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. So, Nicholas, what is going to be the focus of this week's pod? Yeah, so, so this game, we, we're going to be looking at risk profiling. Uh, this is uh, something that's become almost um, an annual tradition uh, for us to assess risk within FPL. And it's something we've been doing sort of every January, uh, sort of looking at hits and how many hits you've taken and assessing um, your risk profile based on that. And uh, we've also put a couple of polls up on Twitter, so plenty of uh, community engagement. So thanks uh, for all the feedback, guys. But shall we start with the, uh, the game week reviews? Yeah, absolutely. I might jump in and go first on this one, considering for, for I wonder, once. I wonder why. <laughs> for once, for once, it's it's good news coming from um, from Belgium with Stag. So, look, guys, I'd been in a slump. It was seven reds in eight game weeks. I'd gone from around five hundred k, which was bad, to one point three million, which was a lot worse. Everything that I'd done that was safe had failed. I'd brought in Chelsea midfielders and tripled up or doubled up just as everything went wrong with Pulisic. I'd had Cho at one point as well. My kind of limited punts failed as well. The likes of Pookie captained versus Aston Villa, who of course had a bad defence. Where did it all go wrong that day? And then there were some ridiculous force majeure that kind of meant that I captained Pookie twice in a row. You'll remember the sewage incident I detailed a few weeks back. So it was, it was going from ashes to ashes. Um, so you heard it all coming on last week's pod. I decided to wildcard and I'll deal with the hypermanagement of the double game weeks later. I just can't have a Lazarus-like revival without play, plotting an alternative course to pretty much everybody else in the Twitter sphere and beyond that. So we'll, I'll review my game we kind of chronologically because it didn't start all that well when I had Fabianski and Lundstrom playing in the Sheffield United-West Ham game and uh, Fabianski proceeded to go off injured extremely early for one point, which was uh, two less than McCarthy, who was my other keeper on this wild card because they rotated quite well. Won't be rotating anymore. And I did get that Lundstrom clean sheet at least because he had been on my bench up until one minute before the deadline. And thank you to whoever it was on Twitter that convinced me to put him on. Saturday, I had no Chelsea cover. Um, I had no elements of a trap for Charlison. I had no Danny Ings. I had no Jimenez. I had no Rashford. Or I sorry, I did have Jimenez and he did 
poorly. I didn't have a Vardy captain. So everything kind of led to me collapsing down the rankings uh, to about 1.8 million as night fell on Saturday. So going into Sunday, I had three players. That was Ismail Assar, who got an assist and could have done an awful lot better. He had a very good chance to score, which he fluffed, and he put through a few dangerous crosses, one of which ended in Dini's goal, I believe, that ended up being a Decore assist. Um, but he was, of course, no Duke, nevertheless, who fortuitously found his way to 14 points. And then came the City game where I had KDB, like the whole entire world, but he had a high captaincy rate of 18%. So I knew that I needed my other punt and my captain, Cuneguero, to do well. Yeah, he did that. Thank Christ. So I got a 20-point hole there, <laughs> doubled with a hat-trick and an assist. Uh, why did I captain him? Why did I even bring him in in the first place? Uh, I thought he would play, which was the first starting point with the City player, especially the likes of Aguero because he was nearing Thierry Henry's record and Pep had a few quotes in the media about what a great player he was, etc. Uh, then there was also the fact that there would be no Tom Heaton. So I was like, look, even if he does play half an hour, he'll probably get one and I'll be okay. It'll save my bacon. And I also, for once, wanted to follow my own advice, which was after my extremely pro-City Stags take last week, about the only person in the world that seemed to be screaming for City at the time. Uh, I kind of felt like I just had to double down on myself. Um, Aguero was brought in as well as part of a plan to get Mo for Game Week 24. Let's see how that works out. He was to be downgraded, but maybe he'll stay. 81 points, game week rank of only 300k, which actually isn't as great as you might expect given such a captaincy hall. My overall rank, I'm now back in the thousands again. It's 961k, but my confidence is back. So we go again. Yeah, definitely. You can definitely hear the confidence seeping out of you now um, after uh, yeah, quite, quite a, a difficult time, as you said. You've uh, now, now achieved that six-figure rank and uh, yeah, you've got to hope that, that improves over time. Yeah, I think I had an indifference sort of game week, 58 points. I think a lot of people kind of have this indifference just through the captaincy of Jamie Vardy. It started off so well with that assist and it just kind of slipped away, didn't it, after that? I, I'd all week been thinking, you know what, I, I should probably do something different here. I should really, you know... Um, you know, go for a captain, which other people aren't going to go for. Everyone's going to captain Vardy. I think by kind of Friday night, or well, Friday, Friday will be Friday afternoon, your time, I kind of thought, right, I'm going to sleep now. Deadline's in a bit. Can I take uh, my season being ended, basically, by not captaining Vardy? So, so, you know, he scores a hat-trick, I've captained Rashford, and he proceeds to do nothing. Sorry, I'm in the airport, and you can probably hear that there's a, a, someone being transferred around the airport behind me. It's uh, authentic, but, uh, Tom. It's authentic. <laughs> I kind of bottled it effectively. I, I kind of went, you know what? I, I can't deal with, I, I, I don't want the sorrow of not having Vardy as my captain if he does really, really well. So I did that. And uh, I, I think I, I was lucky enough to, so in Asia, you can see all the games at 3 p.m. Basically, anywhere outside the UK, you can see all the games at 3 p.m. So me and my, uh, Jeremy Lewis, a friend of mine, we were sitting in, uh, sitting in a bar in, uh, in Hong Kong watching the 3 p.m., so 11 p.m. Uh, Asian time or Hong Kong time and uh, you saw the Jamie Vardy assist and thinking right come on, he's on he's on for one here he had a goal with that for offside as that happened though I saw that Rashford scored a free kick in the second half I saw that Rashford scored a free kick and Vardy proceeds to do nothing against Southampton a ramp and I was a little bit like I don't know I think my overriding feeling this week is one of regret I just think I should really really have taken the gamble excuse me and uh, yeah, I just didn't have the sound and vision to, to go for it. So yeah, 58 points down to 591k. Yeah, I've already taken a hit ahead of next week. So there you go. Uh, how about you, Nick? Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, enjoying the uh, the background noise there, Tom. No, <laughs> Very it's, entertaining it's just, um, yeah. for our listeners. But yeah, um, pretty terrible uh, game week for me. <laughs> o- only 53 points. Uh, 
which I think is uh, yeah, not not a great game. Not, not one I want to dwell on for too long. Um, it started badly with the injury for the goalkeeper Fabianski. Yeah, my captain only got an assist, and the star man sort of Rashford sort of got twelve points. Perhaps the only the highlight that I should have probably trusted him with the the armband. So yeah, yeah, as I said, I'm sort of stags. Um, Game rank is going ascending from the ashes. Mine is just going from ashes to ashes through it, isn't it? It's still down 50k overall. Moving on to our, to our theme of the week, which is going to be risk, as, as we said. As I said, Stag took the risk um, this, this week by going for that early wild card, bringing in a few players like Aguero, um, giving him the armband, a few other uh, gambles like sort of his Mayless star. Um, really paying off for him massively and sort of my cautious approach I guess just um, sort of you know sitting with the same team not taking too many gambles only sort of making the one transfer goalkeeper transfer didn't pay off um, so sort of we're going to focus on this this, uh, this pod on, on sort of risk and um, looking at a few different uh, risk profiles that we have in FPL um, it's something we reviewed as we said last year in game week 24 so this will enable us to do also also do a useful comparator to see what we did last year to See what the um, the masses did last year as well, and what's changed between last season and this season. Yeah, it's a particularly interesting subject to me. I actually listened to this pod last season. I remember it extremely well when I listened to it last night. I could even remember bits that Tom was uh, complaining about at the time. It was like it came straight back to me. But doing a comparison of these two times is so interesting because you get such a good idea of what's the difference between this season in terms of general trends in terms of like the actual managers and an empirical sense so we can compare ourselves we can compare some of our friends that we have the data for because lots of people responded last year and plenty of people responded this year but then we can kind of extrapolate from that and from like a greater data that we've got to see the difference between the seasons themselves and how they developed maybe we've had a slightly more concrete template this season compared to last year where there was a massive ebb and flow in the first 20 odd game weeks of the season so it's a particularly interesting one to look at as well as the risk profiles of managers in general. It's always good to have that con data because when we talk about FPL, I think we often say, oh, it feels like, it looks like, it sounds like. And it's always good to put numbers behind that and have metrics behind that just so we can say, actually, this is what's going on. As you say, Stag, be able to pinpoint the way in which seasons do change and a season profile, I guess, differs. Uh, But the risk profiles are a great way of doing that. And that's why uh, Nick and I came up with it in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's a metric that we've used for a couple of seasons now. But um, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see um, the different types of managers, different types of players that we've got in, in the game. And, and we, we kind of link it a little bit in with sort of financial services, which we, we both work in. Um, when you, when you, where you get risk profiles to sort of determine what type of investor you are. So you might see a cautious investor, you might see an aggressive investor. And, and these days, actually, with the, the rise of sort of robo-advised technology services, uh, many companies now actually do... Um, risk profiles on their customers and and essentially give them advice uh, based on their their risk profile and essentially answer a series of questions determining um, what your life sort of decisions are and and they'll assess your risk based on that perhaps they should ask you about the FPL team as well Um, so I think um, an example would be a a cautious investor and if you're a cautious investor um, you might be recommended funds which would be um, balanced funds e.g. a tracker fund that was simply 
uh, follow the FTSE 100. But if you're an aggressive investor, if you're more of a risk taker, it might recommend to you equity stocks and high risk scenarios such as investing in startups, which um, could easily reward you with huge returns or separately go bust and you could lose all your money. And uh, yeah, as we said, this can be attributed to FPL. When we look at FPL, we've um, attempted to attribute a risk profile by using the binary metric of how many hits managers have taken and as such to determine the characteristics of those managers. So to put some actual figures behind that, we took a poll this year to ask managers how many hits they have taken this season as a proxy for risk profiling them. And those results have been quite interesting. We've had over 2,700 responses to that poll at this point, which gives us a pretty wide data set to be able to kind of analyze the whole community, which may be a slightly more extreme community than your average FPL manager, but it certainly gives us an idea of everyone who's listening to this podcast's approach to FPL and the general community as a whole too. So it will be pretty interesting to see how that develops, won't it? Yeah, for sure. I think the uh, the first uh, category, um, which was actually the, the most popular um, category amongst all the listeners, was the was the uh, cautious uh, risk taker, having taken only zero to four hits over the course of the season, having only burnt naught uh, to sixteen transfers. So sixty percent of um, our managers fell into this category. I think um, we've got quite a number of examples as well from the comments of the poll. For instance, um, FPL Death Star Sean, he's only taken one hit. Um, has an overall rank of 17k you mentioned also he normally has about six to nine hits um, so slightly less this season we'll have to talk about that a little bit later other examples are fpl zlatan zero hits um with on both teams 12k and 27k we've got jake gallagher 546 with no hits um james carroll doing very well as well but one hit has derailed his season Addy nash two hits and 23k and also tory halgenbacher who's um overall rank 30 at the moment is had zero hits and even burnt a transfer. And he's, he's mentioned that um, it's down to a well-balanced squad with a good bench and some luck. Yeah, and some friends of the pod have also given comment on how they've done. So Chris, who's at Awesomeo on Twitter, he right now has taken four hits. So that's minus 16. So he just falls inside this bracket. But what's quite interesting is how he has developed as an FPL manager. So at this time in 2018, he had taken 12 hits, so 48 points burnt. At this point in 2019, he had taken six hits for 36 points burnt. And now he's taking just four hits. So does that give you more of an insight into how the season has developed? How Chris's management style has developed or both it's quite interesting to compare the two and then another friend of the pod is neil murray this time last year he cited a strong opening six to eight game weeks when he was talking about having just taken one hit but of course he was ranked at about 1k in the world at the time and so this year i was just speaking to him earlier and he was talking about how he was almost embarrassed by his lack of proactive action to arrest has been a more disappointing season than that he's currently ranked 320k but has taken just three hits and he's starting to wonder to himself should he have taken more and maybe it's an interesting thought to assess where someone like neil would fall at the end of the season he's right now a cautious risk taker but by the sounds of it he may be about to pivot towards a different type of risk profile altogether as the season progresses from here. Yeah, no, it certainly is interesting. I think that the prevalent school of thought in FPL has been towards the more cautious side for a long time. Like if you look at players like Matthew Jones, you look at players like FPL General, uh, look at players like Joe FFS, like a lot of the time that has been basically advice to just hold your transfer, reassess the situation, maybe make the two transfers the week after. 
I think a lot of the time as well, that's that's very good concrete advice, isn't it? I mean, that, that's completely reasonable. And there's obviously the demonstrable kind of records to show why you do that and why you approach that. Because at the end of the day, information can be a lot more important than making that 0.1 up or uh, taking that gamble, which could potentially, potentially be ruinous like I found in previous seasons. That said, um, I guess I'll make this point again when we go on to where I sit. There's opportunity there because if a lot of people are kind of sitting back and waiting to kind of take their chance, then if you take that chance a little bit earlier, you can get those points in. But as I've mentioned, the last few seasons especially have been very much weighted towards the conservative player doing very, very well. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I've also fallen into that category. Um, I've only taken three hits um, all season. And uh, that cautious approach has has paid dividends to certain parts of the season, such as, um, you know, keeping faith in, in players like Madison, um, who's eventually rewarded me with his returns. But has also meant that I haven't um, always got the uh, the early points on certain players. For instance, I, I missed the, the early Vardy halls. You know, I've missed the, uh, the Manchester City halls, um, for instance, this particular game week because I, I didn't take a chance, for instance. And, you know, I've taken a, a few less risks, um, haven't uh, tripled up on Liverpool again early enough. And, you know, they're getting clean sheet after clean sheet. So perhaps I've missed out there. But, yeah, I think it is, um, as, as Tom mentioned, it is the, the most um, common of all the categories. As I said, 60% of the managers fall into this category um, taking very few hits and uh, yeah we see we see this on these sort of cautious risk takers don't we that and these types of managers more likely to sit tight and and keep faith in the players they've invested in they're less likely to to gamble and you know that perhaps um, you know more template squads you'll see the likes of the sort of Vardy, Kevin De Bruyne, um, you know so Vardy, Kevin De Bruyne, Sadio Mane, sort of very template players um, in their squads and just sitting there all season. There's no need to, to transfer these players out. There's no need to take any any risks and any gambles, especially if, if the, um, the managers are doing well. Yeah, absolutely. Like even Jake Gallagher, who was in 546 that you mentioned there, he even pointed out that he burnt a transfer at one point. He just left a transfer disappear into the ether rather than use it to give you an idea of a, a level of patience that none of us can really empathize with. Then moving on to the next risk profile, you'd be talking about people who've taken about five to hit eight hits. Those are moderate risk takers. So that's 20 to 32 points burnt. That sort of manager, they're more likely to take a gamble. They'll show a bit of patience with players too. They might hold their wild card. So case studies this season and a bit of success. FPL Goldfellas, he's taken six hits on route to 64K. Mr. Faith has taken six hits on route to 7, 7K overall. FPL Lewis, seven hits and he's or. 975 and Gyanu who has taken eight hits to get to 2k overall so you can definitely be in this bracket and succeed can't you guys yeah I don't see why not I mean it's uh it's, it's definitely the, the difference the difference is, is fairly small I suppose because you are still showing that measure of patience that perhaps managers like myself don't have you're still kind of holding your players you're still holding those chips back and you're still kind of uh I guess showing that level of faith, which is really important in your players to eventually elicit that Ziggy Stardust from them, uh, especially in in the first instance. But if you don't get that, those points, like I think the times up number where I've had a player for two weeks hasn't done anything, and I just removed him, and he's kind of turned around and then returned. Uh, for example, you know Grealish this season, uh, I, mean, I removed him uh, just before that twelve pointer, which felt really really good. Uh, Didn't to afford other things and. Uh, 
I, I think in that more, kind of moderate category, um, I'm, I'm, I guess I, I thought that would be where a lot of managers would sit if we kind of widened to the general public of managers rather than those who are focused just in the Twitter sphere and are exposed to all of these sorts of different people. Um, just because I can imagine that there would be some a, a level of impatience, I guess, when people do remember to look at their teams. So to look at a few people that we know, again, who are falling into this bracket, one is Adam P, who is at 35who on Twitter. And in 2019, at this point, he had taken two hits and he talked about how he'd been patient all year and then he had taken both of his hits around the festive season as self-doubt had started to creep in with patience that he had been showing up until that point and he talked about the time that he felt like once he had taken one hit it was easy to just go back again and take another hit and maybe that has proven true this season because now in 2020 he has taken six hits at this point whilst ranked at 330k but what's interesting, I guess, is that Adam was in the millions all the way up to game week 10. So he used two hits in that first 10 game weeks as he's tried to get a grip on things and he was getting frustrated trying to escape there. But then later, as he jumped up the hundreds of thousands and actually got to on the cusp of the top 100k, he, you start to see another layer of frustration coming in again around the festive period. He took in minus eight in game week 20 and another minus four in game week 22 because he's been stuck between 110k and 400k since game week 13 now. So you're seeing a different type of frustration slipping in here and it's Adam is then using his hits to try and escape that thousands mediocrity I guess which is nowhere near as bad as millions mediocrity and I guess speaking of I fall into this category so I've taken four hits but I'm putting myself into this category because I have burnt my second wild card and that certainly wouldn't be normal for this category I like to use a minus eight to turn things around and that's a characteristic of my FPL style and I did take one this year and it didn't work and then I've taken two further individual hits neither of which really had the effect that I had hoped for. So now I felt like I needed to steal a march on the community and I feel that the standard double game week tactics just lead to template teams anyway. So I need to be different if I'm going to pull back from about 1 million in ranks. So I had to go and just take a few more risks. Yeah, and um, 26% of managers fall into this category as per our poll. As we said, this this sort of FPL manager is is more likely to to take a gamble than those um, sort of cautious managers that we referred to earlier, but would also still show patience with their players. If they blank one week, it's not a case that they're straight out, then, you know, they'll they'll get a few more chances perhaps before they're definitely out the side. And um, like you said, you've pulled your your wild cards, you fall into this category, but, you know, most of these moderate risk takers will still have their wild card and, and will still be holding it until later on in the season um, to try and avoid more hits when we get to the uh, sort of the doubles and the blanks um, stage of the season. But uh, typically, I guess these managers would probably have a template team, not, not as template perhaps as the cautious risk takers, um, you know, perhaps a few more differentials, but um, not as many as the aggressive risk takers, which is our next category that we're going to be discussing. Woo! Uh, this is the aggressive risk taker. Uh, nine to fourteen hits per season. You burn about thirty-six, fifty-six points, something like that. How do people like me approach the game? But we're more likely to gamble on differentials. We're willing to take the risk on players to seek that kind of high rewards. I think players like you know more more pay, or think players like I don't know, like Fabianski, I suppose. I think that sounds a bit, sounds a bit strange, but he was very low owned. Uh, less patience as well. You can probably hear with me week to week that. 
first week I'll get someone in me really singing their praises. Second week be going, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. And the third week you'll, you'll hear that I've gotten rid of them. So there's, there's lots of case studies um, on this that we responded to. So FPL Brain, he's taken nine hits um, and he's 18 KOR. Uh, Alex Brennan, he's also taken the nine and he's up to three KOR. And uh, But unfortunately, there are a few cautionary tales. So FPL Amar, for example, has taken 10 hits and he's way down in rank, he says. Um, I'm 500 and something K as well and I've taken... Uh, I think I've just gone into this category, haven't I, Nick, after the hit that I've taken for this week coming. I guess I guess with this sort of style of doing things, it's, it's very much, it is, as you mentioned, impatient. I'm prone to over-management, and as I've tried to caution myself against uh, this year, but I've pretty failed to do so. Um, uh, admittedly, there are some uh, kind of mitigated circumstances. I took the minus 12 uh, a couple of weeks ago, thinking I was going to you know, stop uh, uh, stop looking at FPL, and as it is, here I, here I am on the podcast. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, a bit of a rebel rebel in that regard. Uh, I guess the, the reason that I do take a lot of hits is that I'm a gamer. I'm used to affecting the outcome. And hits feel like a good way to do it because you're able to kind of turn things using a sense of skill or at least doing something that other people probably won't do in order to make a difference to your team. That means you take a lot of risks. And uh, over the last three seasons, especially with WGTA, that hasn't really worked. Um, a lot of the time as well, I like to gamify FPL. So I like to look at the percentage ownership and think, OK, if I get a low-owned player here, I mean, uh, is it kind of three or four uh, differentials these people are likely to have, people like myself? Like having those sorts of numbers of low-owned differentials to me, if that all kicks off, means that I have one huge week, which means that I'm kind of a half my rank or something like that. So I'm always chasing the upside, I suppose. A really good example of something that does that is Late Riser um, on uh, on Twitter, at Late Riser FPL. Uh, he also captained Aguero this week, and uh, he's written a few good articles on chasing the upside and going for those big differentials to try to make the big green arrow. Yeah, you're definitely more of an aggressive um, FPLer than myself, and we've seen that uh, throughout the pod uh, with, with varying degrees of success. But yeah, um, this this type of um, risk profile, um, it's more likely to, I suppose, gamble on emerging differentials that aren't yet in the template, and we've seen this um, um, successfully um, applied, but also unsuccessfully applied various times of the season. For instance, your Zaha pips, perhaps an example of an unsuccessful gamble. Um, you know, they're more likely to to take the risk on early transfers as well, perhaps to um, to gain or avoid losing value. But then obviously that has a little bit of risk um, in itself, um, if, especially if there's a Europa League uh, fixture and you've brought in Charlie Austin as a hypothetical example. Um, these, these types oh. of managers are, are rarely in their possession of uh, two free transfers and uh, basically uh, less patience as well is probably one way of describing it as well. Two, two blanks for a player and they're out, especially if uh, another um, highly owned player gets a haul. Yeah, I think I'm always sizing up the opportunities and always sizing up the players to bring in. I think it's probably a product of doing WGTA that I devote a lot more brain space now to, to thinking about my team and where I can make an advantage and maybe my patience is, could be better. As I said, 88% of um, our managers uh, fell into this category, but our final category is um, extreme risk takers. So these are managers that have taken 15 hits or even more. So that's up to 60 plus points burnt over the course of the season. Um, this is 6% of um, the people that uh, participated in the poll fell into this category. Um, some examples, for instance, were FPR Rhinos, who's taken 15 hits. He's also used both wild cards and also used this bench boost but um, he's got an overall rank of 3k so um, it's certainly paying off for him to, to take all of those hits and take all those gambles a few other people like Man United guy 16 hits but he's happy with the turnout 
um, overall rank 70k um, and Spiridon who's um, overall rank 30k he's taken 21 hits and he said some were fantastic like Aguero and Rashford but others were disastrous um, such as Son in game week 18 when he got suspended um, but yeah um, these these managers are willing to gamble frequently they've probably got high transfer value um, due to catching the early rises but um, taking all these hits can be um, a very dangerous um, strategy as well because you're constantly losing points and um, often, often the hits don't pay off but when they do pay off and you get in some of these early differentials it can be very very effective for your team I'm going to posit a theory about the extreme risk takers. I think we would all rather be in like Man United guys position. If we were at 70k with 16 hits, that's such an interesting and fun way to play FPL. It's a bit like everyone rides their bike wishing they could have been Evo Knievel going off on a motorbike or, you know, you get in your car and you immediately feel like you want to be a Michael Schumacher type character. There's kind of, maybe that's an especially masculine thing that we kind of chase that adrenaline rush far more. And I think I'm more envious of these guys who are at, let's say, 70k with 16 hits than I'd ever be of the guy at 10k with no hits taken whatsoever. Is there a sort of attraction to being in that category? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier on, I guess before I did WGTA, I, I kind of made a few different decisions than I would have made. Like I wasn't as kind of exposed to the Twitter sphere. I wasn't as exposed to the fear factor, the FOMO of doing things and like this whole kind of trope of patience. And like before that, I, I think I was probably in this category. I took loads and loads of hits. I'm pretty sure I made a transfer every week, or at least two transfers every week. And those years were the best years of my FPL life which is quite depressing actually in some ways, but it was like each week it was like, oh, you pretty things whenever anything would happen. And I take a minus four or a minus eight to, to buy the Aguero or buy something like that and just play the game weeks as they were. I think kind of, I didn't know what OR was really. I didn't know all this top 1% stuff, all this kind of rank boasting. I didn't really know anything about that when we started WGTA. Like it was all a bit of an alien concept to me. It was only kind of when I came into it that I really started to think about overall rank. Then i as opposed to my my mini leagues because all I ever used to do was just look at the mini league and think right okay Mark's above me my cousin who does he own who do I own that he doesn't own who, which players are better oh he's got a good a good picture this week okay well Aguero's playing Aston Villa he's not going to own him he's not going to be able to buy him I'm going to get him in and capture him therefore I'm probably going to take him over that was why I used to play it and just take hits based on that um I don't know. I think that in some ways, I feel like maybe I've lost what uh, what made me a good player. So maybe having this discussion is going to uh, embolden me to make even more hits. Um, but you know, this is uh, this is all down to Mark Sivans, I think, because you know, if you've got the archetype of Joe, that sort of player who, as you mentioned, is very cautious, doesn't really do very much, very dullard sort of individual. The, my kind of hero in FPL terms is Mark Sivans because he would take hits and he would kind of gamble uh, pretty big with this sort of manoeuvre. And more, more often than not, it would pay off because it would be something like um, buying Aguero before, uh, before Aston Villa or something like that, like going for that kind of third or fourth choice captain that no one's ever going to own and taking a large hit to do so. Yeah, I guess um, since you started uh, doing the pod, you felt a little bit under pressure, maybe, um, and uh, the the fear factors got to you. But I suppose that was the good strategy. Just just players in that Mark, your cousin, doesn't have, um, and and perhaps uh, you should go back to that old old strategy. I think with this one, I do agree with you um, there, Anthony. About it's it's probably a lot more exciting to play this way, take lots of hits, um, take lots of chances, experiment your team, and have fun. You know, no one really likes to be sitting there with the same players all season. 
season. But I've, I found with my own personal experience, every game week, it happens it's sort of once every four game weeks or so, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to take a gamble. I'm going to bring in a differential every time it blows up in my face, literally. That, that's sort of my past experience. It's my literally, personal experience. Literally. A, a, literal, a literal explosion in my face. Um, no, but every time, like, I've done this in the past. It hasn't worked out, and it's, it's kind of put me off, and it's turned me into a bit of a dullard, just the same with the safe picks, the cautious approach. I generally find it is the most effective strategy in FPL. Um, and then, as you can see, 60% of um, the people who followed the poll um, sort of follow that approach as well. So it seems to be the most popular approach, even if you know playing with the, the aggressive approach, taking lots of hits. Um, you know, has has worked out for for a few of the um, the managers that have written in. Oh yeah, no, I mean, there's just there's one thing here as well that Anthony, like you like to do, um, you know, when you get two free transfers, like you know, Nick says, oh, we take a risk, you take a risk every now and again. But if it's not working for you, you you, I've noticed a signature stag move is to take a minus eight with two free transfers, isn't it? You completely kind of recalibrate your team, move some players around, and see if that works. I think that's a, a nice little compromise between risk taking and being patient. Yeah, absolutely. I love doing the the big minus eight to make things change. You know, I kind of I save my two free transfers and then I burn another two uh, hits right on top of that to make four changes. That allows you to really change the whole entire makeup of your team where your budget is invested. And usually I do those four transfers with an idea to pivot some other transfer after that. Unfortunately, this season it didn't work. Whereas last season, I think I did it twice and both times it kind of spurred big, big, jumps for me over the course of maybe a five game week period but it, it really is it's being James Hunt and not Nicky Lauda it's being Danny Alves not Gary Neville it's listening to rock music not listening to classical music it's it's all that just wanting to just everything to be loud crazy a little bit unpredictable and just kind of chasing what you want as opposed to chasing what maybe your head says at times but moving on from the risk profiles and looking to last season how has this changed? So we had 2,000 responses to our poll last year, and it makes for some interesting comparative data. Last season, everyone found the need to take much more hits. There was only 43% of people had taken between zero and four, whereas this year it's 60% of people are falling between that zero and four hits with a similar sample size. Then last, last season, we had in the five hits to eight hits category, we had 32% of people. Compare that to 26% this year. So again, the, the trend is quite similar. Nine to 14 hits, it was 16% of people. Compare that to eight. So half as many people in that category uh, this year as last season. And then in that 15 plus hits category, the extreme risk takers, 9% of people were in that category last year and only 6% this year. So there's definitely a bit of a trend and a big difference between the two seasons, is there not? Yeah, no, there's definitely, um, I can understand exactly why that is. And I think the reason why that is, is Eden Hazard leaving the Premier League. Um, that's because we've lost the premium asset. So we've lost that sort of uh, individual in the template, that component that we want to swap around. Like last season, I mean, Nick, you had him, him in and out of your team so many times, didn't you, Hazard? But this year, we're kind of left with the same cast of characters as last year. Minus one. We didn't really get a premium character coming in to replace Hazard. So we, we have the same cast of premium characters this year. We've got Salah, we've got Mane, we've got Aguero. Arguably Harry Kane as well. We were all thinking he might come in and play that role, but unfortunately he does not. Or Bamiang. All these characters have been here for the last couple of seasons. 
Alex, we've just lost one in Hazard, who was a player that we would be bringing in to uh, uh, to mess around with these sorts of guys. So you know, less uh, less ways to mess with a template equals less hits and less moves being made. Um, I think that's probably a, a reason why, right? The the, the the loss of the Belgian magician. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there, Tom. I think um, there's, there's certain players perhaps that are in everyone's team and there's there's less sort of experimental experimentation with the premium assets. For instance, we've got KDB, we've all got Mane and Vardy has become a premium asset. He was relatively cheap earlier on in the season. We've got Trent in defence, for instance. Um, it, it's become a bit boring, Manchester City and, and Liverpool um, in terms of assets. You know, the, the expensive players at Spurs, for instance, have been pretty terrible over the course of season likes of Harry Kane you know dare I mention Ericsson and you know a little bit of Ali and Son in their teams perhaps but nothing else the Arsenal players also haven't really delivered even Aubameyang's just no one's really looked at him even though he's, he's quite a decent differential that's done pretty well um, and Manchester United and uh, Chelsea who we've talked about on the pod Chelsea and Leicester having you know really cheap um, players, um, really cheap um, assets like Mountain Abraham or you know, Madison that just fit quite nicely as sort of third or fourth midfielders or third strikers in our squad um, without causing us to, to worry too much. Whilst, you know, as you said, last season we had Eden Hazard and if Chelsea were doing well, we had to kind of tear up our teams to get Hazard in and we'd have to lose a Liverpool or Manchester City uh, player to afford that. And we've, we've also got, you know, these very cheap defenders that we talked about on the pod as well before, you know, uh, perhaps they're not doing as well as they were earlier on in the season, but, you know, the likes of Rico, the likes of Kelly, the likes of John Lundstrom, of course, um, absolutely smashing it over the, um, the course of the season just, just meant that they fit very nicely into our squad. We haven't had to worry too much about our benches because we always know that you've got a few guys that can come off and, and deliver the points and it's, it's allowed us a lot of flexibility in terms of owning these these premium assets and also owning these assets perhaps that should be um, premium assets like Marcus Rashford who was um, pretty cheap at the beginning of the season and, and Tammy Abraham earlier on in the season as well. Yeah, like, like I think you make some really good points there about this season. As the, it's the cheap players, it's the predictability of Liverpool, and maybe to a lesser extent uh, Leicester. Whereas last season, like the events that you guys were talking about in last year's pod, they were all like huge moments. It was how do we allocate our assets between Liverpool and City? Maybe a question that we're asking ourselves for the first time in maybe fifteen game weeks at the moment. Uh, this season, there was also the Kane, the big Kane exit at the time. There was Salah exit as well at one point. There were huge form swings between the teams, no less than with Manchester United, who had a huge uptick just before Christmas when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over and Pogba became an absolute must-buy, having been anonymous earlier in the season. Rashford, likewise. And then there was also the whole big-at-the-back trend. Remember the Ram? Remember that? Everyone but Robbo was irrelevant by game week 20. And that was such an interesting change that everyone went from starting the season in the typical 3-4-3 or even 3-5-2 setup. Suddenly, all the money went back from about game week 3 through to game week 8. And then suddenly, after we lost our patience with the likes of Marcus Alonso and Benjamin Mendy, all that money started to come forward again. So this was wreaking havoc. And so it's easy to see how there were so many more hits in that situation, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think last season, 
we, a bit of a contrast as well has been the settled back line to some extent this season. Because they've been, I mean, Nick mentioned Lindstrom briefly. I mean, we did have an AWB, Aaron Wan last season. But this year, uh, we've had 4.5 million heroes like Soyon, who have done a great job, really. That would have been, he would have been 5.0 if the game had opened later and Maguire had already gone to Man United at that point. Like, players like that have really freed up the extra 0.5, the extra million. I mean, at one point during Christmas, it was Soyon, Lundstram, Rico and Kelly, who are basically the four of your about five plus one Liverpool guys. That's so much money you could pour forward. That plus lack of options going forward almost has meant that we, we have been very templated this year, which is why a lot of managers just thought, you know what, there's no point in me making loads of moves and remodulating things again and again and again. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with you there, Tom. It's definitely been one of those seasons where we we felt quite flush for cash, and there hasn't really been too much need to to change and, and too much experimentation, which perhaps been um, slightly more more boring maybe than, than usual. If that's sort of a bit bit rude to describe um, the season, but perhaps um, you know we've seen a little bit less flexibility in, in terms of what's been going on with our with our teams. But um, it's probably all to change again next season. We'll see the Leicester assets rise in value. We'll see like some Marcus Rashford rise in value and we'll see some of these Chelsea assets rise in value and and hopefully um, you know it won't just be a, a duopoly of two brilliant teams in the, in the Premier League and we'll see the other top sides perhaps be a little bit more competitive again but um, I think that rounds up that section anyway quite nicely so we'll take a break here and move on to the features who got the assist who got the assist and we're back, so we're going to move on to our regular features section, starting off with market forces, where we look at the movers and shakers in the FPL transfer market to figure out what is everyone doing in the world. Um, as the man behind the numbers, um, I'm going to start by yeah, looking at the strange changes in the uh, transfer market here. And uh, the man being brought in the most is Danny <laughs> Ings, uh, with over 215,000 transfers in at this uh, moment in time. He's, he's really sort of invading that template, isn't he? Um, and just just an absolute run of form that many of us are, are ruining that we haven't brought this this guy in unbelievably he's actually now on 14 goals which puts him there joined second in the golden boot race and you'd have never believed that um you know at this moment in time the sort of the golden boot race would essentially be between Ings, Vardy and Rashford who'd have predicted that at the start of the season he's joined fifth, joined fifth in not. Europe's top five leagues as well Danny Ings in terms of FPO asset I mean why would you not? It's only 6.8 million still as well. Truly 3.9% ownership. So those halls are really going to start damage, damaging us managers that don't own him. And Southampton's runs are pretty reasonable as well. Wolves, Crystal Palace, tough game against Liverpool, but then Burnley at home and Aston Villa at home, especially those games in 26 and 27. I think he's a set. He's probably going to be essential in the teams by that point if he, he continues his, his run. And what's quite interesting about it, those Ings transfers are being funded pretty much from three different places, maybe four if you extend to Kane, who's already been out for a few weeks. But you've got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been sold by 210,000 managers. Raul Jimenez, probably Danny Ings is this season's Raul Jimenez, and Raul Jimenez is no longer Raul Jimenez, as he's been sold by 104,000 managers as Wolves in his form has dipped. And Marcus Rashford, who in spite of scoring a brace, has now been yellow flagged, and so managers are panicking and selling him too. 92,000 transfers out already. Yeah, you do have to. It's a bit of a surprise to see Rashford so high on the, the transfers out after scoring 12 points. You do have to 
uh, wonder if there's life on Mars with some of these managers that are selling him and, and uh, getting rid. Uh, but the, uh, the second most transferred in player is, is Aguero, Can Aguero after that hat-trick. Um, no surprise that he's appearing back on the, uh, the market forces with um, a few managers looking at um, 115,000 managers transferring him in and, and looking at the hat-trick and saying, let's dance. And um, yeah, the Premier League history maker fits in nicely. Um, to those squads um, that are selling Aubameyang because they're sort of around the same price point in the Manchester selling Kane as well um, straight swap for Aguero that, that, looks, uh, that looks perfect for the team and him along, he's alongside uh, Riyad Mahrez there um, who's the third most transferred in player after this haul as well he's had 100,000 transfers in at this moment in time Yeah and, and, and no, no surprises here in the, the Diamond Dogs you've got uh, Richarlison uh, Stag's famous uh, trap man uh, 89,000 managers have uh, bought him in and Vardy 86,000 managers have maybe regretted their decision to sell and bought him back Yeah it's an interesting one Richarlison uh, got another return there. that's just two returns in a row for, for Stag's hated man and uh, yeah West Ham Newcastle Watford Crystal Palace up next for Everton uh, and perhaps a Another little bit of a, a cheeky differential that people are eyeing up. And then and Vardy, um, interestingly, he's, he's transferred in and, and transferred out as well. So, um, you know, a, lot, a mixed bag there. And we've got a few questions on Jamie Vardy um, later on. But, yeah, you know, he, he's still... Um, delivering the points with an, with an assist there and obviously he missed the last couple of games as well so a few managers perhaps um, some of those more aggressive uh, or extreme risk takers got rid of Vardy after a couple of blanks and now uh, transferring him back in but I, uh, I think that wraps up the uh, the market forces um, our next um, section is going to be the stag take for the week um, so stag um, what's, what's your take for this game week so this week, I think we're starting to see a little bit of doubt creeping in about Leicester City. We just saw that there in the market forces where Jamie Vardy is both being bought in droves and maybe sold in droves as well. And that's quite interesting. And even the questions on Twitter have been dominated by doubts about Leicester. And it's quite interesting. Just to take one example, Chico Fuzz has asked us, is it time to reduce the Leicester players in our squads? And my answer is kind of yes. And it's not sell, it's more just consider benching from now on. And that is focusing largely on Kagor Soyunku, who is probably the representative in Leicester's defence that everybody has, as mentioned when we were talking about this season as a season profile. He has been the cheap entry route into that, what has been a brilliant Leicester defence up until now. But we're starting to see them creak. You can see the lack of dynamism in their team. Their pressing has slowed down. And that is really showing in the statistics as well. So what I did was I've compared game weeks 13 to 17, where they played a pretty standard array of teams, and game weeks 20 to 22. Why didn't I include 18 and 19? Because they played Liverpool and Man City. Those are always going to be data skews at the best of times. So 20 to 22, while they've played... West Ham away, Newcastle away, and Southampton at home. Not fixtures that you would have thought would be overly difficult in the overall scheme of things for this Leicester team, who have been so reliable all season. But we're starting to see that their defence is definitely coming under an awful lot more pressure. So in those recent three game weeks, they've had about 11 shots conceded per game, eight shots in the box conceded per game. Take that earlier span in the season that I mentioned, and it was about nine shots per game they were conceding, only five shots in the box per game. That's a big difference. And then just to take another stat, I've looked at defensive slips and specifically tackles lost. So between game weeks 13 and 17, they were only losing about four tackles per game. That has jumped to nine-ish now. That is a huge difference. And I think it just tells you how much pressure that team is coming under. Even Brendan Rodgers has been talking about how 
having played about two games per week, each week in December and after that, that was 12 games in total. And they've had to take multiple days off this week, according to The Athletic, just to try and get them back in shape. Rodgers has been talking about Yuri Tielemont, who has been too jaded and who couldn't play against Southampton. They had huge ball giveaway stats as well against Southampton. Kasper Schmeichel has already been called into making five saves three times this season against Liverpool away, Man City away and Southampton at home just last weekend. We're seeing Leicester under pressure. And I think it's just, it's time for us to understand that Cal Garcia is definitely benchable again. And we have to start managing him that way. There's a point where Leicester were so consistent and he was so highly owned that it was very hard to justify not playing him even when the fixture was tough. I think that period has ended and I think we can now look at benching him. I'm already wondering about the West Ham home fixture and maybe the Chelsea home fixture and the Wolves away fixture and the City home fixture. Those are some of their next few fixtures, all of which I could see Sayonka being benched for. It's a difficult run coming up. He's not essentially playing anymore, put it that way. And beyond, I know you're in Sionchu. Um, I mean, we bought him at 4.5, and I, I guess I, I guess he's, he's benchable. We don't want to be the man who sold the world, do you? You don't want to be the man who's selling him and him to come back into form. Like the Athletic Arts ask you, Sison, and the sheer number of games that they've played in such a small squad, especially defensively, have definitely taken their toll. Like at the back, you've got the Jevons Sionchu double up, and then behind them, who do they have? They've got an aging Wes Morgan who uh, turns who, who turns slower than milk does. And you've got Benkovic, who's untested at this level, although he's a fantastic football manager by. Um, ben Chilwell was also cited as being absolutely knackered as well, playing kind of a, a wing-back and also a full-back for that Leicester team. Like being attacking out on the left, having to trudge all the way back to DL. Um, I, I, can, I think that maybe this kind of uh, this week off to be really, really beneficial for them because we often see around the Christmas time period the intensity of games, as you say, does get to these sorts of players. Just a little time to refresh and reset. Could well see Leicester improve again. Um, I, I, I agree with Solanchi being benchable. Um, linked to kind of this chat around Leicester not perhaps being as good as uh, they have been. I've seen a few kind of people saying, oh, you know, I'm not too sure about Vardy. Is Vardy sellable now? Um, I just kind of watch and wait on that for the time being. They do have a leaky Burnley next. They do have West Ham. Um, obviously, they've improved a little bit under Moyes. But, I mean, Leicester's run is still pretty good towards the end of the season. It's a kind of game 37 and 38. They play two top four, uh, two top six teams in a row. Um, but the majority of their fixtures up until that point are actually pretty good. And don't forget, there could be a double game week in game with 28 for Leicester as well, consisting of Norwich away at least. Um, so that is you know, all the more reason to keep these players. I wouldn't sell them yet. Maybe if you have Madison and you need to kind of be making the funds or making the space for a Mane or a Salah for your double game week, uh, Liverpool, and do look at it. But I'm, I'm not too sure at the moment whether we should be selling them. But yeah, Sorrentino at 4.5 was always one of those players who you would play, you'd throw on if he was doing all right, um, unless we're doing all right. But at that price point, I've got no worries about benching them. Yeah, I think you have to be concerned in terms of Leicester and the, the amount of minutes those those players have played, especially the, the back four is a little bit worrying. And of course, there's also been the, the Wilfred Ndidi injury recently as well, which has affected the performances. I mean, we saw it in, in the League Cup semi-final against Aston Villa, for instance, um, with his replacement, Dennis Pratt, not um, really uh, delivering and being able to control the midfield. And um, I think Hans Trudri came on at half-time in that game and 
uh, put in a pretty decent performance, to be fair, for that second half. Um, subsequently started the game against uh, Southampton, but wasn't wasn't able to control it in, in that sort of commanding way that we see NDD play. And they have been... Uh, pretty reliant on him in terms of their defensive performances him being sort of the, the key man in in that central midfield and uh, yeah it is a little bit of a concern to see this, this downturn in form especially for myself because I am tripled up in, in Leicester at this moment in time um, and I, I am starting to waver a little bit in terms of whether I should be tripled up especially when I'm looking at some of these Manchester City assets I'm looking at ways to um, triple up on Liverpool be that either with Mo Salah or um, a defensive double up because I'm possibly back on that one again. Um, so I, I'm considering, um, you know, setting Mad- Madison, who, despite being a little bit unlucky with uh, the VAR decisions that have happened, re- happened happened in recent weeks, he's only actually got one return in six, which which isn't pretty, um, which isn't very good to be honest. Um, so yeah, he is potentially on the chopping board. I think Jamie Vardy certainly stays in my team, and Swinshu, I think, despite our de- defensive woes or defensive concerns. Um, I think um, having bought him at around 4.6 million or so, you know, I am loath to, to sell him because I still don't think there are particularly um, fantastic options available um, in, in the sort of trade swap scenario. And um, looking at Leicester's next fixtures, we mentioned they were relatively challenging, but I think Burnley away um, is a pretty decent, pretty damn decent fixture, all things considered, because Burnley have uh, been pretty shocking um, um, in recent weeks and have struggled um, for a number of weeks now. West Ham at home, that's another team that sort of Seem, seemingly in a relegation battle right now so you know I, I'm not I'm not loath to get rid of my Leicester assets super quickly but uh, yeah it, it is a little bit of a concern so yeah fantastic state there um, Stag yeah like it's a slightly more nuanced take than usual you know usually it'll be buy 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 or sell 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 whereas this is very much in between it's more like sell 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 perhaps on the midfielders where nobody has really generated a huge amount of value and they're definitely sellable assets Vardy, I just feel like it's just not time to sell him yet. But Sayonku, we can definitely think about benching him. I think, like you, Nick, I have a lot of value tied up in Sayonku, and I won't be selling him anytime soon. But it is definitely something to consider is just benching benching him. It was definitely remiss of me not to mention the Indeedy injury as well. He's not actually expected to play either of those two plum fixtures coming up and looks like he'll be back for the tough run. And it is worth looking into how much of an effect his absence has had on Leicester's defensive slump in general. Oh, and the uh, final thing this week in the features is Dad Watch. Uh, obviously, this uh, section where we keep up with how Nick's dad's doing, a very strong start to the season, but it seems to have depreciated a little bit. Uh, has he arrested the slump, Nick? So, yeah, he, he, I mean, he did get a red arrow this week, but I think it's only really a very small red and um, 57 points. Uh, he was uh, particularly uh, peeved off with VAR this week. VAR's impacted Dad Watch because he had a uh, Johnny Evans goal, which would have been a Madison assist, um, chalked off this this game week. So that, that, was, a, that was a painful blow to him. Uh, but, yeah, he, he got 57 points. He's ahead of me um, again, but it's become very tight between uh, myself and uh, my dad now, actually, in terms of, um, our points because he's, he's two points ahead so uh, getting quite competitive in terms of who's first and who's second in, in our mini league right now so yeah a little bit of excitement there so cool that's that's the end of our feature section um, after the break we'll be moving on to the community questions section who got the assist who got the assist 
so we're back and it's um, time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. If you want to join the league, the league code is EIKX03. And we've got a new leader um, to the Mini League. It's Monal Javeri, um, who also wrote in for our risk um, section saying he's only taken three hits so far this season. Um, he got a game week score of 81, uh, which is absolutely fantastic total um, score of 1418 now, which is um, sort of uh, right up there now, overall rank 49. Fantastic work there, mate. Um, Captain De Bruyne, 18 points, but also had Mares for that 17-pointer. Um, in his front line of uh, Rashford, Vardy, Ings, very much breaking into sort of the template in terms of being that new template front line. Um, so, yeah, and he's also got the double Sheffield United defence as well with Henderson and Lundstrom, which has really, really paid off for those that um, took that risk on a, a double Sheffield United defence. So, well done. Well done, Manil. Um, second, dropping into second is Muds Abdul Islam with Spartacus um, on one four. One four zero five points in third is uh, Declan Rin with the Wesley Crushers um, on one four zero one joint third actually with uh, Gate and De Becker with the Reds Army. In fifth is Johnny Briggs with the Den Donkeys. In sixth is Kieran Screeton with Pain in the Vast. Seventh is Neil Thompson with Venkies Out. Eighth is uh, Brian Evans with Chupacabra. Ninth is Luke Burgess with Lukewarm FC and 10th is Mark Bird with the Tweety Dreamers. So well done all the guys in the top 10, all doing fantastic well, fantastically well, all in the top 1K in the world as well. Yeah, some absolutely fantastic results there in the mini league, it has to be said, and fair play to MJ right up there at the top. And with the mini league rounded off, let's move on to the questions from the community. The first of which has come in from FPL Trojan, and he's touching on a theme that we hammered home heavily last week, but it's definitely worth talking about again this week, given that 24 and the double game week is just around the corner. FPL Trojan was asking about, is the triple... Liverpool defence a viable option and Nikhil Narayanan has also asked us about the double Liverpool attack or the double Liverpool defence and which of the two we should be looking at does anyone have any thoughts on that any update on your feelings Nick a week later from the last uh, I'm just chopping and changing constantly at the moment this is it's really hard for me to make this decision I feel like I'm just going to be leaving it right until the last minute now because I was thinking about um, Mo Salah but I'm just I'm still looking at the way I can actually fund um getting this guy in it's getting really complicated because I felt well, felt like I had a way out um, I was going to sell Rashford I was going to sell um, Deli Ali, and, and I'd, I'd get the cash that way but after Rashford's brace I'm like can I actually get rid of Marcus Rashford I mean looking at Manchester United's fixture in, in 24 they played Burnley at home and I just said that that's a that's a, that's a fantastic home bank you could potentially even see you know um, United getting a proper hole in that, that game getting maybe 4-0 another Rashford brace I mean I don't really want to miss out on on those Marcus Rashford points. He, he's he's doing, he's having an absolutely um, absolute stormer of the season. As I said, he's he's competing for the Golden Boot alongside Ings and um, Ings and Vardy, and he's on 134 points now in FPL, which which is making um, a challenge for me to sell him. So I'm having to think about actually who do I bring in as um, my third Liverpool and player and. And to be honest, the defence to get a defender in is is much more affordable for me, and and that defence is just you know they're just rock solid now, aren't they? I mean, we talked about the the 
the lack of clean sheets over the course of the start of the season. But now it's, it's, it's four in a row, it's five and six. And when you've got the likes of Andy Robertson that we know can get attacking returns as well, he's picked up six assists over the course of the season. He's um, also got a goal and last season he got 12 assists. It is, it is pretty damn brilliant in terms of offering attacking um, returns. You actually think, well, maybe I should just get uh, Robertson in. He, he's not that far behind Salah in terms of, um, overall points, just 22 points behind Salah, and he, he's almost half the price. So maybe that's that's one way that I could could um, triple up on Liverpool. Look, look at the value argument and think, okay, I do really want most Salah in my team um, to uh, complement Sadio Mane in, in that midfield. I, I will be nervous as hell not owning him. Looking at all those managers that potentially triple captaining him but um you know i've, I've got um, a stronger team because i don't have him I'm, I'm able to afford um you know a stronger midfield and if if you know the other option if i don't sell rashford would be to potentially sell ali and madison and end up with a 4.4 million midfielder in salah and and then i'd have to pay someone like mason greenwood or you know diego rico and i really don't want to be doing that in that particular game week so that, that's that's my concern that's just looking at my own personal team as i said on the last pod as well it's worth listening to because we had quite a um in-depth discussion on liverpool on that pod um that it is de- very much dependent on your own personal team, your own personal circumstances. Um, we're, we're not going to be advising, oh, you should definitely double up in midfield, you should definitely triple up in defence, definitely double up in defence. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're just weighing it up and looking at our own personal situations and and trying to you know give a, a balanced argument because it, you know both defence, doubling up the defence or doubling up the midfield are both very, very viable strategies for this, this game week. Yeah, to kind of contradict you somewhat, like I yes. would say to oh, answer sorry. Trojan's question is that the, the triple Liverpool defence is probably a bridge too far for me. But that said, the double up for Liverpool is now so much more tempting given I brought in Mr. Starman Aguero for the last game week and he's almost done too well for me. The idea had been to have him as a two-week punt and then to sell him to free up the funds to get Salah, whereas all of a sudden it's, it looks an awful lot easier to find a way to get Robbo into my defence as well to join TAA. So it's really the nerves of Salah versus the feeling foolish of selling a player who's just scored a hat-trick. I sold Mo Salah a few seasons ago when he scored that hat-trick against Bournemouth. I sold him straight after that, which was the totally contrary move. Loads of people had sold him just before it, but for whatever reason, I sold him after that hat-trick, directly after, and he went on to score, I don't know, he had eight goals or something in his next five games. It was a ridiculous haul, and I missed most of it. And I don't want that to happen again, and that's definitely ringing in my ears as I speak right now. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. It's actually it's music to my ears, Nick. As a as a as a salary owner, that you're not going to own him. Maybe I'll have a chance to catch up with you if I throw the triple caps in that in this year. Look, like with the double Liverpool defence, completely makes sense. Over the last six game weeks, an absolutely, frankly, ridiculous xGC of three point six three zero conceded. That's uh, a, a sizable distance away from the second best defence, uh, which is Southampton actually, a four point four nine xGC, Man United in third. Um, as Nick said, it's all about your personal circumstance, really. I, I'm not too, too surprised a lot of people look at it and thinking, you know what, it's probably easier to get a double defence in here, and I might as well. Um, that's kind of what I was gambling on in the first place, going with the Mala double up. And really, um, with my team now, what my plan is, is to, after game week 24, perhaps wildcard in game week 25, and I've got a question on this in a second, and re uh, kind of re uh, reformat, I guess, to that double Liverpool defence after that. At the moment, I'm locked in, but I think. 
going forwards, that double Liverpool defence is looking very, very good. I'm sure they'll continue to churn out the results and the relentless charge for the title. It's just the case that I'm going to hope that Salah is going to be difficult for people to get in. I think Mane is the one who's going to be pretty uniform, universal. Um, so I'm hoping that Salah will be the big cheesy differential, which will uh, really help me next week. Moving on, I think we you covered we covered Leicester as well, um, quite in depth um, as part of your stag take as well. We had quite a few questions on Leicester as well. Techno Jitsu and Boring Bones, for instance, asked us about Madsen, where he's worth holding on to. As I said earlier on in the pod, um, you know, one returning six start does start to um, uh, raise concerns, even though his underlying uh, stats have remained pretty fantastic. Um, FPL says as well asked us um, sort of a binary question of whether it's Vardy or Rashford. To be honest, at the moment, I would say you should still try and hold both. And um, FPL Dispatcher also asked us about the Burnley um, going to be hosting the Vardy baby celebration, which I think we might talk about a little bit more when we, we cover transfers and captains. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe looking at questions away from those teams that we've followed so far and looking at a question that's come in from Lee of FPL Family Fame. And he's asked me, I guess, with the Aguero success, is Stag now going on a 16-week differential-a-thon culminating in a Game Week 18 final award at the top 10k? Probably not, Lee. It probably won't happen. It'll never work that way if I continue to chase differentials. But I'm definitely, I guess, feeding back into the risk profiles we were speaking about earlier. I'm going to be sitting in a more extreme category, I think, than I would otherwise have been as I chase a higher rank. I think the top 10K is a, a dream scenario, whereas the top 100K is perhaps achievable. I'm about 100 points off it, I think, at the moment. And I think that's really where my aims lie. Yeah, well, that's what that's a worthy aim to be honest. I think it's probably the same sort of aim that I've got. I think I'm only about 18, 19 points in front of you, which is probably you know 400, 500k as it stands. Um, and I think it will be it will be time to take risks now. I think it, as I said right at the top about my game week, I'm really, really genuinely annoyed about the fact that I bottled it and I didn't take the risk that I should have. I think taking risks with the captaincies like you did this week, taking risks with player signings, going for the Riker, or at least going for like the clever differential, as we'll call it, if it turns out well, um, is probably going to have to be the route that people like you and I in particular are going to have to take now. Um, but Nick, I guess in your situation, you're going to want to leave it. Well, yeah, you say that, but like my rank does feel like it's a little bit in free fall um, over the course of the um, last four to five game weeks. I think I'm I'm on a run of sort of five red arrows in six, which it really isn't that great. So maybe it is um, time again to to start taking a, a few more risks. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly when, when it comes to differentials, they can massively pay off. As we saw with this Aguero captain um, decision, you know, the likes of managers supporting Riyad Mahrez as well, you know, absolutely, um, Manchester City absolutely smashed Aston Villa. And I thought, why the hell did I not even just captain Kevin De Bruyne? I've, I've become very, very boring and just sort of auto-captain Vardy, um, not taking too many transfer risk for some reason Deli Ali is still in my team God knows why I haven't got rid of this guy yet or what I'm, what I'm doing with him still in the team um, so I, I think sometimes um, you know a, a differential form um, can be a little bit fun as well as we talked about earlier on in the in the risk section yeah absolutely part of me just wants to be that evil Knievel or that James Hunt that I was talking about earlier and I may be I guess feeding into what I did which was wildcard Charlie F1 was asking about when is the best time to use the second wildcard so there's kind of there's the 
suits your team approach and then there's the i guess what fpl twitter or the fpl community will suggest you do and those are two divergent paths and i guess i'll let one of the guys talk about what fpl twitter is going to do because they'll be closer to that path whereas on my side of things it was just a matter of use that second wild card when you need to because if you're not happy with your rank and you think you need to arrest the situation and maybe the change you want to be then pull the trigger pretty soon i would say at this point you can probably set yourself up for the double game week um, with liverpool and then after that i think really go for it so i think the i mean we've got ben Crellin coming on for the 100th pod actually game week 28 um but i think the kind of prescribed approach at the moment is to wild card in game week 36 um in preparation for a game week 37 bench boost for that massive double game week that we're a little bit we're anticipating uh that kind of makes sense if you're doing well. I mean, if you do, if you're in top 100k, you're consolidating a position. Your team's in a good position. Absolutely makes sense. Uh, but I'm I'm very much on Anthony's side here. I mean, I probably would have probably I'm looking to wildcard in game 25 as I mentioned. But if I was in Anthony's situation, really needing to push on from the millions, stuck there, treading water, doing the wildcard early makes sense. And of course. We're all going to say it depends on your team, on your profile, on your stature. It really is that. It really is your judgment. And it really is a point at which you kind of think, yeah, my team needs it. And do, do you need a wild card to move around the likes of Rico, Kelly, etc.? Probably not. Do you need the, a wild card to sell a seller and then reformat your team entirely around the bigger defence and maybe uh, get, getting someone like Mares in as your punt in midfield? Yeah, probably. That's probably worth doing. But that's only your own judgment that can inform that. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, so as you said, we, we've got Ben Crellin coming on for a 100th pod. And, and generally around that time, we've got more of a knowledge of, of when the blanks and the doubles are or, or what specific players, um, what specific teams are in fact blanking and, and, and what teams are, are um, have got double game weeks. And uh, sometimes, as you said, if, if the decision is at the moment to, to go with the wildcard game, for six, that seems very, very late in the season. And by that point, you know... Um, Often it's essentially all but over, apart from unless you have an absolutely fantastic uh, double double game week. But there, there, you know, there could be um, a case, for instance, to to wild card in in twenty seven if there's a double game week, for instance, that emerges for for Leicester in that twenty eight. So at the moment, is we don't really know when the um, what teams are blanking fully, what teams are, have the uh, the double game week. So it's all it all can be very much dependent on, on what happens in, in that field, if that makes sense. It's not a sort of a specific game week. I'd say you have to wild card, do it then. It, it does depend on, on your team and, and, and what's happening in, in your team. I think um, if you're struggling, then by all means, the, the early wild card can pay off um, quite well for you. But if, um, as we saw with Stag, but if, um, you know, if, you, if you're thinking, actually, I want to avoid hits as much as possible. I want to avoid hits. I want to, you know, make sure that I have a starting 11 in all the blanks and, uh, you know, doubled up in all the double game weeks. Then um, sometimes holding on to that wild card for as long as possible uh, can be effective. I think um, unless uh, things really go awry, I'll probably be trying to hold off as late as possible um, to, to find that optimum moment. But um at the moment, for me, it's a, it's a wait and see. But uh, I certainly understand um, why some managers will be thinking, actually, you know what, I'm going to use the wild card now. And, and we saw it. And, and this is it's a perfect example from this game week where we've seen it used to, to great effect. And so I guess there's two old adages are kind of coming to mind here. One of them is uh, you can't fatten the pig the night before the fair. And maybe that's what I feel the second wild card in around game week 36 is doing. It's like, you're trying to do everything a little bit too late especially if you're playing catch-up whereas for those who are trying to consolidate it makes sense 
But then maybe equally, and this leads into our next question, there's no point going to the fair after the market has ended. And one wonders when FPL Nicotelli is asking about whether we can trust Mares as a premium midfielder. Can we? Or has that market already ended and is that pig already sold? So can we trust Mares to bring home the bacon? Um, oh. I, I guess... the <laughs> I think I think with Mares, I mean, after that massive seventeen points, so I think some people are looking at him. I'm looking at him, um, and we really need to see how City approach the Champions League this year and approach the league as a balance to that. Which players get favoured? How Pep sets up compared in the two competitions? It's very very hard to tell at the moment. Um, with Mares, I think what he does offer is when he's on the pitch, fantastic PPG. Um, what he also offers, of course, is ridiculous unrestrained rotation. We've, we've just got no idea what the hell Pep's going to do every week. We've said that a million times in the pod. You know that. We know that. Um, so if you do buy a player like Mares, you'll have a lot of people who use the old tide. Oh, it's a trap. Really what it is is a calculated gamble that you do get these kind of big performances. I remember Don from the Three Amigos had Mares earlier on in the season, got a few no-shows and then suddenly got a 13-pointer. It does happen. So what you'd be doing is basically uh, hedging your bets and saying, okay, Mares people are going to be put off him because of the fact he's a rotation risk. So I'm going to get him in as a, as a really explosive differential. And you've got players like Todd Cantwell who can come off the bench for you and do a job. So I want you if he becomes bench fodder, can also do a job for you off the bench. Like you're basically just saying, okay, I'm playing with 12 men if you've got Mares or playing with, uh, you know, that, that will kind of have to be your mentality if you go for a player like that. Um, but I do think it's great. It's a great. It's a great. Uh, it's a great option because City are posting amazing stats at the moment. KDB is hygiene. If you can get a Kudamgaro in, great. If you can't and you can afford Maria Mara, is eight point seven, eight point eight. I think it is. Eight point four. Why not? Years. That's a fantastic differential. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So if you can afford Mara's eight point four, why not? That's a fantastic differential. Is the way I look at it. I wouldn't look at it as. I, obviously, it's a risk, and you know the risk of bringing him in. But if you're looking to catch up, why not? If you're looking to consolidate, probably not. Yeah, I certainly think he he is um, definitely a, a decent option in, in FPL. I mean, he'd be the perfect move for me right now. Actually, to be honest, in terms of dealing with my Delhi Alley issue, I could just do a straight swap, get rid of Ali, and, and bring in Riyad Mahrez. And uh, I should have done that a long time ago, perhaps. Um, but yeah, as you said, he's got great PPG. He, he's been uh, brilliant. You know, he's, he's had quite a few few hauls. It's not the first haul, to be honest. This is his um, fifth time to, um, this season scoring double figures. So. You know, this this isn't a freak occurrence for Riyad Mahrez. Of course, it was a few seasons ago um, in Leicester's title-winning season where he was the uh, the top scorer in the um, in FPL with uh, 17 goals and 11 assists. And so far this season, he's got seven goals and nine assists, and certainly looks um, dangerous um, when he's playing. And at the moment, it seems to like perhaps he's displaced um, Raheem Sterling. From the Scott side, and Sterling's been, um, you know, relatively quiet recently, and he's only played um, one minute in the last couple of games. So Mares um, seems to have that slot, but like we said, it's Pep. You know, it could change week in, week out. So you, the risk is there with a player like Riyad Mahrez that he might not be playing week in, week out. He might only turn up for a fifteen-minute cameo and then block um, block your bench points. And, and we do know that about Manchester City. So that is. That is the risk. I mean, looking at the fixtures, Crystal Palace at home, Sheffield United away, Spurs away, West Ham home, and Leicester away. It is a bit of a, a mixed bag in, in terms of um, fixtures. But yeah, Mahrez, um definitely uh, performing well over the course of the season. He's now sixth um, highest um, ranked midfielder, despite only having played um, 54% of the, uh, the minutes available. So that's pretty damn incredible, all things considered. So um yeah, why not go for it if you fancy a bit of a gamble there? 
yet in, in fairness a bit Mars as well he has now started four of the last five and so one does wonder if he is solidly into that team or does the question of the trap raise its head again but he's no Richardson. I guess leading into the next question we have Khaleesi's Dragons who's asking about Watford whether they're in a purple patch or if their whole entire team is a trap and we did cover this last week so it's just to mention it briefly I did bring in Ismail Asar and I was pretty happy with that they looked very dangerous over the weekend against an absolutely horrid Bournemouth team which I don't think is representative of anything however I'll be keeping him for another few weeks it wasn't a one-week punt for me guys do you have any thoughts on Watford yeah as we as we said when we talked about Nigel Pearson and the new manager bounce he's really inspired the team hasn't he he's got them all in a room saying we could be heroes we're not going to get relegated we're going to deliver the the points um this season and uh you know they look like they could easily save themselves now from from relegation when they essentially looked doomed when Pearson took over. So I certainly think um, you know they definitely look um, a lot better. I talked about the goalkeeper Foster um, last um, pod, and I'm perhaps considering him as a Fabianski replacement. Though I'm, I'm more leaning towards. Um, Matt Ryan at this moment in time, but I think Foster strongly needs to be considered um, as a um, goalkeeper option. We talked about the, the disappointment um, of the defenders recently. The four point zero defenders, you know, Rico. A lot of people were talking about selling Rico, for instance. He didn't even play um, in the Watford game because he was so poor for Bournemouth. And um, Cathcart at four point three million um, really fits the bill as you know a really decent neighbour. Uh, maybe even uh, Cabaselli, though. I'm, I'm sure perhaps you, you have you still have. Not nightmares over that minus four don't you stag um so maybe not but um both over those guys perhaps uh, in a defensive option good good picks um and uh yeah he's made a star he's 6.2 million really starting to to shine in the uh, premier league under the um tutelage of um pearson as well and his mate sadio mane so um a few picks out there i think obviously i forgot to mention the duke as well decore who scored at the weekend um starting to um show some attacking prowess now um that's two goals uh, two goals and two assists in in three game weeks for him so maybe at 5.6 million we should be considering him too yeah, and absolutely, the Duke is living in the opponent's box at the moment as well. He just seems to continue to pop up. Those kind of runs he was making from deep before have become far less deep and far more frequent recently, which is very interesting to see. Spend nine points in three games, do Corey, now. Um, yeah, he's been moved to that kind of rampaging number 10 Yaya Torre-esque role, hasn't he? And he's, he's doing it very, very well indeed. Uh, 5.6 million, you could be looking at that and thinking, oh, that, that could be decent. It's actually 0.1% more owned than Saar right now. Although that's not really saying very much because the highest owned uh, uh, Watford player is still faster at 3.6%. Uh, overall, aren't they're just a team that if you are looking for low-end differentials to catapult up the ranks, they are the ones worth going for. Um, I mean, uh, if of the next, three of the next four fixtures are pretty decent. They've got Spurs at home next, Aston Villa in 24, uh, Everton at home in 25, and then Brighton in 26. So three of the next four are decent and arguably Spurs decent as well at the moment. Yeah, so I think um, when it comes to Watford, um, I think we're starting to look at them and say maybe they're not actually a trap and maybe we should start to consider some of their assets in our FPL teams. But uh, moving on now to um, transfers and captains. Uh, so um, for me, it's still still a little bit up in the air in terms of what I'm going to do. I've got I've got to bring in a goalkeeper. A little bit boring again, but um, it's got to be done, unfortunately. It looks like Fabianski is potentially going to be out for a little while now. Um, so I think he, he He's got to go, and uh, which is a shame because I got him in for the double. But I think the man I'm going to bring in at the moment is Matt Ryan. Um, I, I just think um, in terms of the, the goalkeepers available, Bryson have a 
really nice run of um, fixtures actually coming up. So they've got Aston Villa at home, Bournemouth away, West Ham away, Watford at home, Sheffield United away. I can certainly see some clean sheets there for um, Matty Ryan. Um, and it also actually fits the bill in terms of just a set and forget because I've got uh, David Button as my 4.0 million um, reserve goalkeeper. So if, if anything happens to Matt Ryan, and hopefully it doesn't, at least I've got the backup um, and don't need to continue to faff around with goalkeepers because it, it's making me sick. So I think um, for me, it's going to be Ryan coming in. I'm, I've actually got two free transfers still. So um, whilst my Salah plan seems to be out the window, I'm potentially going to use that transfer still. I think I'm, I'll, I do want to get rid of Delhi Alley, even though they do have Watford next. And, you know, that potentially could be um, a decent game for Spurs. Um, I still want to get rid of him. So I, I don't really know what I'm going to do at the moment. I've got, really got to think about it. Um a little bit more before I actually decide what to do because I'm, I'm very much up in the air, but at least going to make the goalkeeper decision. Um, and in terms of captains, um, I think it's probably going to be Vardy against Burnley away. I mean, there's obviously a few other options out there. You know, um, De Bruyne, I think, certainly an option um, against Crystal Palace at home. He's, he's just been brilliant this season and I've regretted um, not captaining him as ridiculously. Um, he's got 16 assists and um, seven goals so far. 16 assists in 22 games is just an absolutely ridiculous record for KDB. So he's an option. But I think at the moment it, it's on Jamie. Um, though he is certainly um, running out of chances um, as the captain pick. Yeah, no, it certainly makes sense. I was looking at Vardy myself, but um, yeah, I indulged in the space oddity, which was having 0.0 and having to make my transfers early. So I've done my transfers early again, took another hit, which put me into the aggressive risk taker category. Um, I removed Fabianski for Matt Ryan as well. Um, I would have ideally wanted Denders, Dean Henderson, but I only had a 4.8 to spend. So I thought, yeah, I don't want to mug around with the transfers there, with the goalkeepers, just get Ryan in and just leave it. I'm in Australia as well, so why the hell not, mate? Um, I also... Uh, uh, brought in Ingsy for Morpay. I think Morpay is one who's beloved of the Stats Hounds, but doesn't really do very much. And watching Ings versus Leicester, that man's an absolute fire at the moment. The form of his life, like it's just so frightening not to own. He could have scored three or four though. He hit the crossbar twice in about two minutes at one stage. Absolutely incredible. Um, so he had to come in for me as well. Uh, to finance that, I had to sell Traore, who is the classic FPL buy. Um, was absolutely killing it before I brought him in. She's absolutely nothing at the moment I brought him in, uh, but I did make 0.1 million profit. So I sold him. Cousin Todd is now back in the team. He's been fielded at home to Bournemouth. And the captaincy at the moment is on Danny Ings. Um, I think I'm going to have to make a little bit of a punt this week. I'm guessing most people have been looking at De Bruyne uh, or Vardy. So I'm going to look at the third or fourth uh, pick uh, captain. It's on Ings at the moment, uh, but I am strongly considering uh, Salah or Mane actually as well against United. Um, I still think United uh, uh, that that kind of uh, win against Norwich was very one-sided, but Norwich are a patchwork team who are destined for the drop. Um, I think Liverpool are going to have too much for United, so I could very well be looking at a Salah captaincy. But at the moment, it is on Ings just because that. He is just absolutely on fire, as I mentioned. So, yeah, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Had a man's for already. If I do get a couple of big injuries this week, uh, I will wildcard uh, early. But I plan to wildcard in game week uh, 25. Looking at my team, I've already got my first fire to put out post-wildcard, which is obviously the Fabianski problem. And I think I might just leave him there for now and work it out over the next few weeks. So Alex McCarthy was the player I was going to play this game week anyway, not Fabianski. So I'm pretty okay with it for now. But looking forward in my team then, I'm just... I, I know I'm definitely prone to being hit by some of those behavioral factors we were talking about a few earlier, but maybe overconfidence, the illusion of control, or maybe excessive optimism. I might be hit by anything and I might 
capture captain somebody like Todd Cantwell if I wasn't careful and remember it was actually Norwich and Bournemouth's first clean sheet of the season both teams uh, got were nil all in game week nine which was the game week that a lot of people got rid of Timu Puki after his early run came to a shuddering, shuddering halt. Captain Wilson as well. Captain Wilson, Captain Puki. It was that was a the big a big reckoning for both of those strikers. So looking at my team right now, I think the armband has to sit on Aguero for now at home to Crystal Palace. But look, it's it's liable to move. I will make a transfer for sure. I just don't know what that will be yet. Although the original plan had been to bank, but I think I'm I'm more pro hits than I ever was before so maybe a bit of excessive optimism there excellent so um so a few options there <laughs> with the uh, the uh, captains and the transfers there lots of different um things happening um so yeah just to say who we are we are who got the assist you can find us on twitter at wgt underscore fpl at wgt underscore nick and at fpl stag and uh, make sure to listen and subscribe across the podding spectrum yeah, absolutely. You'll find our league code if you want to join at EIKX03. There is a theme every week on the podcast. Last week it was FIFA. Cheers, Jeff. So well done to those who picked up on those references. It was a bit tougher than usual. We'll be back for a Q&A next week with there being such a short time between the games finishing and the double game week 24 fixtures. Well, uh, thanks very much. Uh, it's been very interesting to take part in this from the airport. As you probably heard, as you probably heard throughout the podcast, there's been a lot of uh, announcers making their appearance on the podcast for the first time. Uh, but these guys will be back uh, next week. In the meantime, though, hope to see you, and I'll be back in game week 28. Thank you. Bye. Oh, it's a goal! Who got the assist? Who got the assist? thinking about my team and where I can make an advantage and maybe my patience is could be better I don't know that's that's wonderful irony (laughs) sports social podcast network